Great to be with you all again. I'm Rob. I want to add my welcome for those of you that are new, for those of you that aren't new. Great to be together. I'm also grateful for Paula for reading that scripture and our worship team for leading us this morning and for all of you who brought food. Excited about spending some time at the end of our service. In fact, we're going to end the service a little bit early. I'm going to go a shorter message. Now, for me, short is not super short, but I'm going to do the best I can to cut out a little bit early so that we can enjoy some time together. Some of you are thinking, I didn't bring anything because you forgot or you didn't know about it. Maybe you're a first-time guest and you're like, well, I I shouldn't participate because I didn't bring any food. Nonsense. We want everybody to eat. And if you'd like to have some food, some coffee, we'd love to have that. looks like we've got plenty to share. So whether you brought any or not, would you join us at the end of the service? Um, this is important to do this together. We are a body of Christ. That's what a church is. We don't just come to consume religious goods and services. We come to know one another. We come to join together in fellowship. We call ourselves fellowship. Let's do some fellowshipping. So I'm looking forward to being with you uh, for about... 15, 20 minutes here at the end of the service. I'll give you some instructions as we get closer. All right. Open your Bibles to the passage that Paula read, 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, you may be thinking, I thought we were going through the book of Acts. Well, we are. We've taken three weeks, kind of throughout the recent last couple of months, we've taken three weeks as a, to pull out of Acts for a minute to drill down on eldership. So this is the final of a three-week series on eldership. Why would we do that? Why would we devote so much time to it? Well, it's very important, obviously. It's the leadership of our church. We haven't taught on eldership in a very long time. The reason that we're doing it right now is because we're in the final stages and and actually just completed refreshing our elder team. We've added five new men to our elder team. And if you've been tracking with us the last couple of months, you met those five new men. They were up here a few weeks ago uh, in eldership part two. Part one, Lloyd taught on January 28th, and it was all about uh, who should elder Who's qualified to be an elder? And he unpacked that message from uh, um, two very important passages in 1 Timothy and the book of Titus as well. And then in Eldership Part 2 on February 4th, you had a chance to meet the five men that we believe that God is calling to, to join that elder team and lead the body. And I'll go over those names again. Rob Howard, Mike Vogt, Chris White, who's right here at the Franklin campus, Larry Kayser, who also is here at Franklin campus, and myself, as well, or the five. And if you missed that Sunday, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it because you'll have a chance to hear the heart of these men. You know, they didn't just tell their stories only. They told their stories in such a way that was pretty vulnerable and and pretty engaging, honestly. And and I I just sat here in the middle of them in awe of what God was doing as he was really sharing through them their heart for Christ and their heart for this church. And I would encourage you to catch up on that if you missed it. Happy to tell you that um, through the process of vetting, we opened up feedback for the body and all five of those men have now come through that process and have been confirmed formally by the elders. So they are joining the elder team um, essentially as we speak. Their first elder meeting will be the first Wednesday in March. So that's coming up very soon. They'll begin a three-year term. We have altered our bylaws, so elders will now kind of be uh, forced into an inactive status after a while. That's probably the wrong word. They'll be invited into an inactive status. Um, So three-year term, that's renewable one additional time, so a maximum of six years an elder will serve. Now, the reason we changed our bylaws is it was open-ended prior to that. So we have, uh, in fact, almost all of our elders on the board right now have been there for 10 or more years. That's a long time to serve. And they've enjoyed it. They've kind of, you know, put their hearts into it. They've been through a lot, but they need a break. 
They need a break. And we just think it's healthy to refresh that board. So five new elders are coming on. Two of the current elders will be stepping to an inactive role right now. A few more later in the year. And then probably a couple of more about this time next year. Our goal is to give all of those men that have been serving 10 plus years a break in the next 12 to 18 months. So you'll be hearing some other names that will come up. We'll be bringing before you over the next 12 months or so some additional men to join that board in order to give some guys a break. So with the addition of the five, there's now 11 total. So let me read you the names of the other six. Bob Elrod, who's been serving, um, I think he's the longest standing um, elder, except for Lloyd. Bob Elrod, Hunter Murray. Hunter is now going to be our elder chairman. What that means is not that, you know, we report to him in any such way. We're we're all equal on the kind of the the round table, you know, Knights of the Round Table is the image, a little silly image there. But Hunter uh, sets the agenda and kind of makes sure that we're keeping track of things. Richard Scott, Lloyd Shadrach, some of you know Lloyd, Kevin Verdon. Kevin's also here at the Franklin campus, and he and his wife Carol have been for a number of years, and Tony Wood. So those six men plus the five new equals 11. I'd encourage you to go to our website. There's a link there to a leadership section. You can see all the pictures, read all the testimonies of all the 11 men along with the two that are now inactive elders as well. So we get to today. And by the way, um, it's significant that we now have four of our elders that are representatives from this campus. Up till now, it was just Kevin that was a Franklin campus representative. And we really have been intentional about increasing that representation. So Kevin is still serving, Larry Kayser, Chris White, and I include myself as a representative of this church. This is my home congregation. Um, my family was in the third row First service, they're serving in the Learning Center as we speak, or at least my wife and oldest are, and the other two are in the Learning Center. This is our home church. And so I'm a Franklin representative formally. Obviously, I teach every other week here in between Brentwood as well. But Kevin, Larry, and Chris White are here on a weekly basis. These are your shepherds. These are your men. You know, one board, multiple campuses, one board, but four men specifically that attend here and and know you all and your families and want to get to know you. So today we get to part three. Today is all about what do elders do? What do elders do? And we've picked a passage intentionally that answers the question as clearly as any other passage in scripture. First Peter chapter five, you heard Paul already read it beautifully. What do elders do? Now, here's the thing. I want to set this up because it's really true. This is not just a message for elders. This is personally one of my favorite leadership passages in all the Bible. So any of you who lead people, supervisors, managers, business owners, moms, dads, grandmas, grandparents, um, you are shepherds is what Peter's going to talk about here. You are leaders. What does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be a shepherd? That's what Peter's talking about in this text. Why does this matter so much to us, specifically for elders? You need to understand what their role is so you can hold them accountable and so that you can be well led by them. And all of us need to hear these leadership lessons this morning. All right, let's jump in. First Peter 5. Here's the context. This is about 30 years after the events of Acts that we've been studying. So let's say mid-30s is where we've been in Acts most recently. We're kind of taking a time off from the mid-30s AD. Now we're fast-forwarding to the mid-60s. So Peter is now an older man. Uh, let's say he's in his 50s, maybe touching 60, which is quite, you know, quite advanced in years for that age. Uh, Peter will not have many years left. He's going to be martyred, just like all the original uh, apostles were killed for their faith. Um, tradition has that Peter was crucified upside down. 
is the tradition. We have no reason to, to doubt that. We do know that he was martyred for his faith for sure. He writes this epistle or this letter, and he also writes Second Peter as well. He addresses it not just to one church in one locale, but to the body of Christ scattered around in these five major regions. Think of it this way. First Peter is the most broadly addressed of all the New Testament epistles. It's addressed to all Christians scattered around in the known world. He gets to the end of this letter, and he turns his attention now to the leadership. By the way, a theme throughout First Peter is suffering. There was great persecution against the church. In fact, now the, the Roman persecution against the church uh, has now broken out. And so you've got followers of Jesus that are in the arena getting fed to the animals. You've got followers of Jesus that are getting lit up like torches literally at night. There's widespread persecution. It was dangerous to be a Christian. Peter writes this letter to encourage the Christians in their suffering. And toward the end, he turns his attention to the leadership of the church. And we'll pick it up there in verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. Now, let's just pause right there. We'll leave that verse up on the screen. We're going to get back to the rest of the verse in a minute. But let's talk about the central command. What do elders do? They shepherd. Who do they shepherd? The flock, right? What is the flock? Now, this is, this is a sheep-shepherd metaphor that needs some explanation because I don't know about you, but, but I haven't seen a shepherd walking around Franklin lately. You know, In fact, I've only seen a couple of real-life shepherds in my life, and they were all in Israel. Right Now, do we still have sheep today? Do we still have shepherds today? Yes. But let me connect some dots so this metaphor will come alive as it would have for the original readers. What do shepherds do? Well, shepherds care for the sheep. Duh, that's, that's kind of the idea. Specifically, what do they do? They make sure the sheep are fed. They make sure the sheep are protected. They make sure the sheep get along. I did a little research in this this week. There's a pecking order in a group of sheep, a flock of sheep. And if you get that pecking order out of whack, bad things happen. Sheep will injure each other. So it's the shepherd's responsibility to make sure conflict within the flock are taken care of. They bind up wounds right? They care. They, they play the role of nurse or doctor for the sheep. Uh, they literally do stay up late into the night sometimes and keep watch, guarding against predators. It's constant sa- uh, self-sacrifice for the flourishing of the sheep. So you see, here's the idea of the metaphor that applies to all leaders. Shepherds are essentially making themselves a means to an end for the good of the individuals under their care. So if I were to sort of give a, a, a definition of shepherding beyond literal shepherding, but now talking about leadership and talking about shepherding that we, we all can identify with, shepherding is caring for a person or group of people in such a way that leads them to flourish. Caring for a person or group of people in such a way that leads them to flourish. It's finding your own identity in the flourishing of someone else. Parents, does this sound familiar? (laughs) Grandparents, bosses, business owners. If you understand leadership properly, you realize that you, the leader, are actually a means to an end for the flourishing of the people underneath you. So this is the idea of, of shepherding. It's making yourself a means to an end for another person or a group of people or a family or an organization. Now, I think this taps something deep within us. 
I think we're all designed in a sense to find our purpose in being a means to an end for other people. Think about when God created mankind, a man, a woman, put them in a garden. He says, you are a representation, literally a representative of my rule, God says. I want you to care for not just the flowers and the plants and you know, till the soil as gardeners. I also want you to exercise authority, rule, i.e. shepherding over creation. Now, I don't want to take this too far, but I think there are still vestiges of this in us as we care for the creation around us. And don't think people are not part of that creation. They are the pinnacle of God's creation. So moms, dads, that instinct you have to care for your family, that's embedded in you as a representation of the image of God. Business owners, when you shepherd your business, when you shepherd the people, that's part of the image of God as your over-shepherd, as your true leader. I would even say caring for pets. (laughs) We have a new pet in our house. You know, we got this little puppy a few months ago, and it's been beautiful. It's been hard, but it's been beautiful as well to see our daughters kind of lean into this human instinct to provide a nurturing environment for this animal. You see, God has designed us to be shepherds, to make ourselves a means to an end for the flourishing of those under our care. That is our identity. So elders of the church are living out the, essentially, the key identity, the core identity of the imago dei, of the image of God, right? They are shepherding. And I'd say it this way. Here's a good principle to think about your elders. Elders shepherd people, not an organization, Elders shepherd people, not an organization. Now, I don't mean that we don't have to create a budget, approve a budget. We don't have to make personnel, you know, different kinds of decisions and organizational decisions. Any of you guys that that supervise and, and run businesses, you understand some of the business stuff. But at the end of the day, Jesus did not die for an organization. The people are never a means to an end. The people are the end. The people of God are the end. You see, elders shepherd people. Now, here's the beauty of this. As your elders shepherd you, they become a means to an end for your flourishing. You become a means to an end for the flourishing of the rest of the creation because you are carriers of the gospel. So don't you see that as the gospel flows through you out into the world, people come to life Marriages are mended. People become eternally secure in their relationship with God through you, through the body of Christ in action, being lived out. You are also a means to an end. The elders serve you. You serve the world. This is how God has designed this to work. Now, it is very interesting to me that Peter chose this metaphor to talk about servant leadership. Shepherding. Sheep. He could have gone other directions. He could have talked about a lot of different ways. In in fact, this comes out, there's a bunch of passages on eldering. This is the only one that really grabs onto a shepherding metaphor. Interesting that it comes from Peter. Why is it interesting it comes from Peter? Turn to the left in your Bibles to John chapter 21. Go back to John chapter 21. I I want to show you something. John chapter 21, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's right before Acts. So if you see Acts, keep going a little bit further. It'll be the last page or two before you get to Acts. Now, here's the context for John chapter 21. Peter, whom Jesus had sort of 
designated as leader of the church, all right? Now, not in a sense of a pope, but, but Jesus had declared, you know, Peter, you're, you're going to help lead this church. That's the identity I've given to you. Peter has a huge failure. You remember this. He denies Jesus. Like, he essentially cuts himself off from his master. And so after the death of Jesus and now the resurrection of Jesus, Peter's still living with this guilt. I denied that I even knew the master. How can I possibly lead the church? So Peter's off fishing. Jesus shows up. Another miracle occurs. You know, this incredible catch of fish. Peter realizes it's Christ. He jumps in the water, literally. Swims, runs, whatever he's doing, however shallow the water is, I don't know. Gets to the shore. Jesus already has a fire going. He's cooking breakfast. After breakfast, we're going to pick this up. Look at John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. So when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. I just pause there for a minute. You see where Peter got the shepherding metaphor? It came from Jesus. This is the call on Peter's life that Jesus literally said to him face to face over breakfast. Verse 16, he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? No accident, it was three times. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? By the way, I think part of Peter's grief was not just that Jesus wasn't believing him. You know, Jesus was believing him. The third time was the reminder of when that rooster crowed. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Here's what Jesus was saying as he was restoring Peter to the role of servant leader. He was saying, Peter, your new identity is a shepherd of my people. It will take enormous sacrifice, but it's the number one way that you demonstrate your love for me. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then be a shepherd. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Be a shepherd. Do you love me, Peter? Of course I love you. Then be a shepherd. Now, I want to apply this to all of us who are shepherding, anyone, as you actively love the people Christ loves, you are actually loving Christ himself. You see that from this text. Jesus says, do you love me? You say, yes, Lord. Not perfectly, but I'm trying. And his response back is, then shepherd. Be a shepherd. Love the people that I love. That's how you show your love for me. Love my people, moms and dads. Love those kiddos. Love your neighbors who maybe don't yet know Christ, but will or might through your love. Love the fellow members of the body of Christ in this church. Love your wife. Love your husband. As you love the people Christ loves, you're actually loving Christ himself. Again, this is our identity as shepherds. Now, 
Let's keep moving through the text, okay? I I left you in the middle of verse 2, that was like 10 minutes ago. I need to catch back up here and move a little bit quicker. After the central command to shepherd the flock, Peter goes on to give three modifiers. What kind of shepherd are we to be? And, And certainly he's talking specifically to elders here. But there's some application for other leadership as well. Look at the second half of verse 2. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. That's kind of the first modifier. Here's the second. Not for sordid gain. Okay, well, what's sordid gain? Selfish gain. But with eagerness. There's number two. And finally, number three in verse three. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, all three of these modifiers get to the heart of how you use power as a leader, as a shepherd. Now, why I love the shepherding metaphor is we don't think of shepherds as powerful people. They're getting their hands dirty. They're guarding. They're giving up their own uh, time and their own convenience for the sake of the sheep. That's why I like this metaphor. But when we step away from the metaphor and think about, well, I'm the... CEO or, you know, I'm the dad or, you know, I'm the boss or I'm the lead pastor, you know, whatever, whatever it is, then we can kind of get this flipped a little bit. And we start to see, oh, what I say people have to do. Peter's saying that is not how you lead. So all three of these modifiers get to the heart of how you use power. Now, the last one, not as lording it over those allotted to your charge. That takes us back to a conversation that Jesus had with Peter and the other disciples in Mark chapter 10. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Mark chapter 10, there was an argument going on between a couple of the disciples of of who was going to have more power when Jesus is on the throne. You know, they're like, let me sit at the right, and this guy can sit at the left. They're actually two brothers. And and Jesus calls all his disciples together. He's going to give them a lesson on leadership. And, and, And listen to this here. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. See, same language Peter's using. Their great men exercise authority over them. Jesus is saying, this is how the world works. This is how leaders exercise power. But it is not this way among you. Another way to translate that is, it should not be this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Now, here's the kicker. Mark 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and give his life a ransom for many. Who's the Son of Man? Christ himself. God in flesh creator of every molecule in the universe did not come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many jesus is saying i too am a shepherd i too although i'm god have come so that my life would be a means to an end for you therefore you should serve that way You should lead that way. Now, those of you in the business world may recognize this. This is the inverted pyramid. This is servant leadership. You can go to Barnes & Noble today and probably see 25 books about servant leadership. 
In fact, you know, before I was in ministry, I was in the business world, and we would read a lot of leadership books in the organization that I was in. A lot of them were on servant leadership. Only a couple that I ever read gave credit where credit is due on this whole concept. Jesus turned the world upside down with the concept of the inverted pyramid. God himself came not to be served, but to serve, to be on the bottom and serve up so that his disciples would then serve up so that the church would then serve up. You see, it's the inverted pyramid. Think about the result. Change the world. In fact, 300 years, give or take, after Peter is writing how you should lead by serving, 300 years later, Christianity is going to be more powerful than the Roman Empire. Every other institution, every other movement, every other organism had approached leadership from a power standpoint. Every time Christianity does that, by the way, it's a disaster because we're called to serve, not be served. So we do not spread our faith through force and we do not lead our families or our churches through force. We lead through serving. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. That doesn't mean that you speak truth into hard situations. That doesn't mean that sometimes you make a decision that's, that may not be popular. It's not, not always about a, a popularity poll. In fact, it never is. But it, at its core, leadership is service. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, here's another principle about leadership, about shepherding, if you will. You only truly lead by serving. The congregation stands on the shoulders of the elders. The elders do not stand on the shoulders of the congregation. We, the elders, your leaders, we lead from the bottom up. That's what Christ is calling us to. That's what elders do. They shepherd. And how do they shepherd? They shepherd by laying down their lives for the sheep. Because that's how the chief shepherd led. Now, we get into verse 4, and there's something interesting that we're going to read here. Let's pick it up. When the chief shepherd appears, you, elders, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, crowns in the New Testament are almost always symbolic. So don't necessarily think these are going to be literal gold crowns. You know, who knows? There might be some, something tangible to them. But in addition to the crown of glory listed here in 1 Peter 5, there's a crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4, a crown of life in James 1 in Revelation 2, a crown of joy in Philippians 4. What are all these crowns about? Well, we sang about it earlier. There's a little line in Holy, Holy, Holy. It, it's taken straight from Revelation 4 where it says we're going to be casting down our crowns. Why would you cast down your crowns? Because, men and women, there is only one only one to whom glory is ultimately due. And so as you're leading and shepherding, and let me talk specifically to the elders among us, whatever this crown of glory is, whether it's a metaphor or whether it's something tangible, we are going to have the privilege of laying it down at the feet of the one to whom glory is due. And I was thinking about this, and, and I, I thought about um, uh, Christmas or two ago, uh, my nephews who don't have any money, they wanted to get a, a gift for their mom. You know, they asked me if I could take them shopping. You know, they don't have any money. And I took them shopping. I said, all right, well, here's the deal. You're going to work. 
You know, you're going to mow lawn, you're going to scoop leaves or whatever it is. And, and if you do that, you can earn this money and we'll get this gift and we'll give it to your mom. They, they had an opportunity to work for a gift that they gave to their mom whom they loved. That's what this is. Elders, leaders, shepherds, you're going to receive a gift that you can then give. What, what, a, what a delight. What a delight to have that opportunity. That's what that crown is about. Now, Peter's going to shift subjects. So he's been talking to this point just to elders. There's leadership principles, but it's really been addressed to elders. Now he's going to shift. Verse 5. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's just, first phrase. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Don't think just only literal men. Like, don't think just like guys in their teens or, or 20s. The, the reference here, but the broader context is all of you who are under the authority of the elders. So typically in the New Testament and today, typically elders are going to be older. There's some exceptions in Scripture to that. Uh, Timothy is a prime example. He was a very young man, and, and, and Paul addressed that. He said, don't let others look down on you because you're young, but set an example in speech, love, conduct, faith, and purity. He's saying elder Timothy, even though you're young. But by and large, you've got the older men that are eldering, the younger men and women. Everyone in this context is to be under the leadership of the elders. Now, I want to unpack this idea of be subject. We don't like to be subject, do we? Isn't that kind of like something down here? Like, I don't want to be subject. You guys don't feel that way? Am I alone in this? Okay. Um, I've gotten pulled over, you know, a handful of times in my life, you know. Yes, your, your pastor has gotten speeding tickets, okay? Deal with it. <laughs> I need to deal with it. Um, here's what happened. Two emotions go through my mind when I see those blue lights and I realize it's for me, you know. Shame, right? I immediately feel shame. I don't even know what I was doing, but I'm like, I must have done something wrong. Shame. And then I start feeling some anger, like some defensiveness of like, but I'm a good driver. He needs to be looking at those, you know, drunk drivers that are out there, you know? I just made this one small mistake or, you know, one time, it was, oh, I won't bother with the story, but I was innocent, you know? <laughs> and I had the shame and I have the anger. It just kind of comes out of me. Why do we kind of have anger when we get caught, when we get our hands slapped? Well, it's because we don't like to be subject to authority. We don't like anybody's authority. Even God's authority, parents' authority, government's authority, police authority. We don't like authority. And here Peter is saying, be subject to your elders. Now, don't think about like, man, I've got to kneel before these men. No, never. Don't think about, hey, I'm being subject in some kind of uh, um, um, cruel way. Never. That would never fit the metaphor of the shepherd. What Peter is saying to the sheep is, make your needs known to your caretaker so he can take care of you. Don't be stubborn. Don't be obstinate to the leadership. If your elders have right hearts, they're there to help you flourish. You see, I would encourage all of us under the leadership of our elders. And by the way, I am as well. I literally report to the elder team. I serve with the elder team but I report to the elder team as well. They do my performance reviews. I am subject to the elder team just as you are. Think about being the kind of person who willingly places yourself under the care of your caretakers, of your spiritual shepherds. 
Make your needs known to help these men care well for you. What might that look like? Well, for one, if you've got a prayer need, let us know. We're, not, we're too big a church that we all know everybody's needs all the time. Um, if you pull out your program, there's a little part in there. Every week we, we try to reference it. If you've got a prayer request, write it down, tear it off, put it in the basket, or hand it to somebody. We will pray for you. That gets distributed, unless you mark it as confidential, that gets distributed to all of our elders and a prayer team as well. We literally pray for you by name. We spend a big chunk of our meetings in prayer. Why? Because we're caretakers of the body. We can't care for you if we don't know your needs. So we would encourage you to use that. Other forms of communication, you can email us, email me, check in. We want to care for the needs of the body. You can be subject to your elders. Part of that way is to make your needs known to us so we can help care for you. And then I got to keep going for the sake of time. Second half of verse five. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, quoting an Old Testament passage there. I love the way Peter creates this image of putting on humility like, like a set of work clothes in the morning. It's like, I'm going to work. I'm going to put humility on. Now, not just the leaders. He says, all of you put on humility. Why is humility necessary in both those leading and those being led? Because people tend to rub up against each other and hurt one another. It's part of our selfish nature. Think of humility as the oil that lubricates the machinery so that when we rub up against each other, we're not destroying each other. You see, community is not unlike a very complex machine that all the parts have to fit together. But just like a machine, you got parts rubbing up against each other. They're going to wear each other out without the oil. You see, that's humility. Leaders must be humble. I can't tell you the havoc arrogance will bring to a leadership team. I cannot tell you how essential humility is on an elder board, on any kind of team, in a family, in a government. Guys, we must be humble. How can we be humble? Through the gospel. Through realizing not just we're low. That's not what humility is, by the way. Some people think humility is thinking lower than yourself than you actually are. Not true. Humility is thinking rightly about yourself. It's not thinking you're too much, not thinking you're too low. Here's how the gospel helps you be humble. You realize, number one, you were so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. But number two, you are so loved by him that he did. You're low and exalted at the same time. That's a right understanding of your true identity. When you're rooted in the gospel, you're not going to think of yourselves better than other people around you. You know the saying, the cross or the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It is. And so we, we can't be throwing our power around with arrogance. We are called to serve humbly and we're called to be led humbly. Now, let's finish the passage, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. Isn't that interesting? At the proper time. It's always God that does the exaltation. We are never to exalt ourselves. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love the way this little section of Peter's letter ends. So appropriate. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. A reminder that he's your true shepherd. He's really the one, ultimately, that's caring for you the most. So here's a message for all you shepherds out there. 
which at some levels all of us, right? Whatever you're doing to care for other people, care and, and be a shepherd and become a means to an end, you're leading in a sense. Here's a message from this text. It is a terrifying thing to lead, is it not? Nobody wants to give up themselves for the sake of someone else's flourishing. And what if we get it wrong? What if we damage our kids? What if I don't lead this church well? What if me and my fellow elders make poor decisions? It is a terrifying thing to lead. So, leaders, cast your anxiety on him. Your doubts, your questions, am I good enough? Can I really do this? Cast that on Jesus. He's strong. He cares for you. He's your shepherd. Bring it to him. And then here's a message to those of us that are being led, which again is all of us. Is it not a terrifying thing also to be led, to be under someone else's leadership? Is it not? Scary. Cast your anxiety on him. Take it to him. What if these men mess up our church? What if they make poor decisions? What if my, my mom and dad, young individuals, what if, what if they don't raise me in, in a way that I want them to raise? How about, how about those of you that, that, are, that are in the stage of life that are getting older and now you're going to be cared for by your children as you age? That's a fearful time of life. How about those of you that have bosses supervisors that you're not sure if you can trust. Cast your anxiety on your true shepherd, you see. Take all that fear and that anxiety of being led by imperfect humans and say, I'm taking it to him because he cares. Now, Jesus is the one who is ultimately in charge of you. And Jesus is the one who is ultimately in charge of this church. All leaders are accountable to him. This gives us all the hope that we need. Now, I'm going to pray for us, pray for you as you lead and as, our, as, our, as you are led. And then we're going to have a meal together. And let me just give you a couple of instructions from this meal so as soon as I'm finished with the prayer, we can enjoy it together. Don't go get your kids yet. All right, we've got about eight or ten minutes before we need to do that. JJ will come up and let you know when it's time to go get your kids. They are just fine. In fact, we've prepared for this. We want to have some adult time in here. Now, if you get your kids later when it's announced, you can bring them back in here if they want to eat. That's fine as well. But let's be together as a family of faith. Some of you are brand new. It's going to take you some courage to just go up and introduce yourself to someone. I want to encourage you to do that. Many of you are not brand new. I want to ask you to resist the urge to only talk to the people you know. Let's be the body of Christ. It would honor Christ if we collectively had eyes for the people standing alone or eyes for the people sitting alone, all right? You may not feel like you need more friends. They need you. They need your care. So let's engage well together. Let's enjoy this great food. Thank you for those that have brought it. Let me pray for you and pray for the food and then we'll eat. Our Father, we do thank you for your leadership. It would be terrifying if you weren't in charge. God, I know that all of us in this room that are in leadership roles, whether it's in this church or in families or in businesses or in other contexts, we know how imperfect we are. And Father, I pray that that sense of humility would just draw us to you, that we would fall at your feet and just say, help me. Help me to shepherd the way that you would shepherd. 
Help me to feel so confident in your love for me that I can let that love flow through me to other people. Help me to become a means to an end, even though sometimes I feel like I'm starving myself. May we go to you for our fullness so that we can pour out. God, I thank you for this body. Um, Many in this room know each other. Some don't. I pray that this would be a sweet time of just 15, 20 minutes together where we can just all enjoy fellowship, to come out of our individualistic shells, you know, to come out of our self-serving consumer shells for just a minute and share, share food, share conversation, share life together. We pray that it would glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.